In Matthew chapter 9, we read the following, which comes right before our text from last week as we looked at the call of Matthew. Beginning at verse 1, we read, Now having entered into the boat, he passed over and came to his own city. And lo, they were bringing to him a paralytic laid on a bed. And Jesus, having seen their faith, said to the paralytic, Be of good courage, child. Your sins have been forgiven. And lo, some of the scribes said within themselves, This blasphemes. So having perceived their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins have been forgiven? Or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Then he says to the paralytic, Having arisen, take up your bed and go to your house. Having arisen, he went away to his house. So having seen, the crowds marveled and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Let's pray. Oh God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with repenting hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you And the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I really enjoy this passage. It kind of catches us off guard. Jesus has been performing the miraculous. He's just healed a man possessed with demons. Fact two, he's calmed the wind and the waves. He's healed one of his disciples' mother-in-law, Peter's. A leper, healed. The servant of a centurion healed. He's been doing a lot of teaching. We've already had the Sermon on the Mount. And then lo and behold, he gets in a boat. What's he going to do with the boat? No, he's heading home. Back probably to Capernaum, though he was raised in Nazareth. His, um, You remember Nazareth rejected him. And so he... His base of operations, so to speak, in Galilee was Capernaum. He made his home there. Heads back home. They're in the house. Here comes a man who's paralyzed on a bed and his friends are carrying him. Ah, what's Jesus going to do? What's he going to do? Be of good courage, child. Your sins are all forgiven. Where'd that come from, Jesus? 
Nobody said anything about this man since. Can't you see he's paralyzed? Jesus has a, a knack for catching us off guard. He has a knack for doing the unexpected. He has a knack for putting his finger on parts of our lives that we didn't anticipate him touching. And here's this man who's paralyzed, lying on a bed, whose friends have thought enough of him and have had enough faith to bring him to Jesus. Notice Jesus notices their faith. Matthew doesn't say anything about the man's faith. Perhaps his faith being a paralyzed man is vicariously lived out through them. I mean, the guy's paralyzed. Life's not what it used to be. Who's to expect anything more? But this man's friends, they hear that Jesus is coming back to town, so they carry him to Jesus. And Jesus' response is not first, take up your bed and walk. His response is not, man, do you want to be forgiven or to be healed? His response is simply, your sins are forgiven. Cheer up. The scribes were told, shout blasphemy. They didn't shout it out loud, they shouted it in their hearts. This is ludicrous. They knew what the implications were of Jesus saying your sins are forgiven because only the one owed a debt can forgive it. If you owe a debt to the bank, you can't ask the supermarket checkout lady, hey, you mind forgiving that debt? Oh, no, it's fine. It's not owed to me. Only the one owed a debt can forgive it. Ultimately, all sin is against God. The psalmist David in Psalm 51, following his sin against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. Remember, he had a man killed after he took his wife. A number of things went awfully sour. Jesus forgives this man his sins. David cried out to God against you and ultimately you only have I sinned. David, of course, had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against his whole nation. He was king for crying out loud. And he's sitting back in the palace fooling around, making the most careless of decisions in his life. But David recognized in Psalm 51, that his sins ultimately were a debt to be paid to God. That it is God who must forgive him. It is only God who can heal him. Jesus in saying to this man, cheer up. It's all forgiven. The scribes recognized the implications of what he was saying. There are only really two parties who can forgive, the one wronged and the one who is eternal. Certainly, God can forgive sins. Certainly, the one we've done wrong can forgive us. 
Jesus, we have no earthly idea if he had ever met this man before. Perhaps he had. I would tend to think probably not. After all, why didn't the friends bring him to Jesus beforehand? This man hasn't, in the eyes of the scribes, sinned against Jesus. Who's he to claim to forgive his sins? They recognized his claim. They recognized what he was saying about himself. They recognized that he was claiming the authority of forgiving sins and thereby claiming the authority of God alone. When these friends bring this paralytic to Jesus, we're faced with, obviously, a set of problems. You know, it's interesting, in life we have those problems that are important and we have those problems that are immediate. It's really important, really, really important to get the, uh, to get the oil change in the car. That's something that's really important. But there are some situations that are a little bit more immediate than that. The oil in the car needs to be changed. Your wife goes into labor. If you're planning on getting to the hospital, you've got to make a call as to what's the immediate problem. Obviously, your wife going into labor is very important. But it also happens to be very immediate. That's not the time to change the oil. In life, we're always, probably on a daily basis, you're faced with balancing what's important and what's immediate. Sometimes, thankfully, the two coincide. But there are times that you have to make a call as to what has to be done right now. In this situation, in this circumstance, what do I have to do? Jesus defers to the most immediate of this man's problems. He's paralyzed. That's very important. Very significant. Jesus is not belittling the man's condition. He's been healing. We just went through some of the folks he had been healing. He's going to heal a leper, but he can't heal a... He's going to make a paralyzed man wait? Jesus goes to the root of a significant problem this man has, and he declares to him the forgiveness of sins. We have problems that are physical and problems that are spiritual, and we see those two brought into this circumstance with this paralytic man. And Jesus' word to him is, first, your sins are forgiven. In the end... We're all indebted. We all are in need of forgiveness. We've all sinned against others, and we have all ultimately sinned against God. That's Paul's point in the first three chapters of Romans. You read through those chapters, and you see Paul is kind of snowballing this issue of sin. 
He starts out with those sins that we think, oh yeah, that's definitely sinful. But then he goes into, okay, well the Jewish people are, are, are not any better off. It's not just a Gentile thing. It's not just, oh, those people, the heathen, those people who don't go to church and those people who don't you know, read the Bible. Paul says it's even God's own covenant people. And then in chapter 3, he goes on to say, all have sinned. All are in need of redemption. Every last one of us. We all owe a debt. And I cannot stress enough that that debt is owed to two parties. Those we've wronged, whether intentionally or not, and God. <clears throat> Jesus is faced with a, a, a um, an, if, an issue of difficulty. When the scribes start kind of grumbling, what in the world is this guy claiming? Good grief, he's... Blaspheming. Jesus perceives what they're thinking and what they're saying within themselves. And he presents to them, interestingly enough, Jesus was a brilliant man. He presents to them this difficulty of the, I'm calling it the empirically verifiable and the empirically unverifiable. Any man can say you're forgiven. Where's the proof in that? Where's the proof that anything has actually happened in that? Where's the proof there, there is no debt that's still held? So he tells them, think about this with me. Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier for me to say arise and walk? Very interesting. Jesus goes right down into right down into the midst of. Okay, you want to you want to challenge here? It's like Jesus. Jesus always kind of pushing buttons and ruffling feathers. I I love that about him, don't you, Lewis? He he's got a way of of really kind of stirring the pot, mixing things up. You want to know whether or not I can forgive sins? That's something that we can't really verify, right? We don't see anything. We don't... The man's not given a certificate of baptism. You know, okay, your sins are forgiven. There's no evidence in that. Perhaps you could say, well, there's the evidence of a changed life down the road. But... The psychologists and sociologists would say, well, because, you know, certain things happen that triggered a mechanism that, you know, he refound his balance in life. Jesus says, would it be easier for me to say his sins are forgiven or would it be easier for me to say, take up your bed and walk? Because one of those things is going to be empirically verifiable immediately. I love how Matthew words it because Matthew, uh, he speaks parenthetically here. We're going back to it a little bit. He says, uh, 
He says, which is easier, to say your sins have been forgiven or to say arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man, how Jesus often referred to himself, has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Then he says to the paralytic, having risen, take up your bed and go to your house. And the man does it. The implications, obviously, if Jesus can speak to the man and heal him, then he can certainly speak to the man's heart and heal it as well. The burden of proof is always at issue with truth claims. Anytime you get into a bait, somebody's got the burden of proof on them. Somebody's having to prove, prove their case beyond the other. If you say to me, there are no such thing as aliens. You don't really have much of a burden of proof because you're, you're claiming a negative. You're claiming a, a non-existence. If you claim to me there are aliens, you'd better prove it. If Jesus says to the man, you're forgiven... Yeah, the scribes can accuse him of blasphemy. There's no proof whether or not he is forgiven. So Jesus raises the score, so to speak, and does the physically miraculous in this man's life to offer evidence for the spiritually miraculous that he's done in his life. I can't imagine the joy that the man must have had. I mean, think about it. Basically, all of life is in, in two statements been put back together. We don't have the man's response when his sins are forgiven. I, I, I kind of imagine the man like, oh, my buddies, they brought me here, and he's talking about my sins. <laughs> Come on. I can't walk. <laughs> Thanks, take me back home, guys. <laughs> I mean, it, ima- imagine the disappointment that you would have probably had. Oh, that's it? <laughs> but thinking, oh, okay, they're taking me somewhere that uh, this guy can do something. And he says, you're forgiven. Uh, okay, better than nothing, I guess. I thought I was getting a new car and all they gave me was a (laughs) t-shirt. At least I got a t-shirt. But now that Jesus has kind of taken the scribes at their challenge, this man leaves not just being forgiven and not just being healed, but both. Amen. I imagine it's probably when he is heading back home that it occurs to him the first thing that Jesus said and the importance of that. Holy moly. I'm walking because of that man's word. And he told me my sins are forgiven. We think of 
being forgiven as having a burden lifted off of us. But I imagine that burden kind of settled in on the man. Wow. Life is put back together. There's newness. I'm able to walk when I haven't in some time and I'm able to rest in the forgiveness of God and I haven't in a long time. I put Acts chapters 3 and 4 up here simply because it's a fascinating story of Peter and John as they're passing along headed to the temple and there's the, the beggar out looking for alms and Peter says just nonchalantly as he's heading to the temple, silver and gold I don't have, sorry buddy, but hey, why don't you go ahead and get up, you're healed. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you imagine the, the change of life that comes there. You were just looking for a cheeseburger from McDonald's or something for lunch and whoa, everything's been put back together. Jesus, in his earthly life, but also in his resurrected life lived through his disciples, has a way of putting back together lives. And we cannot overpass or overstate the importance of forgiveness in lives being put back together. He offers us newness of life. He offers us a slate white clean. He offers us the joy of debts and burdens being pardoned. He offers us something that is easier to say and hard to do. You know, it's one thing to say somebody's forgiven. It's another thing to actually do the forgiving. Claiming to forgive someone is one thing. Actually letting go of hurts and debts is another altogether. Some of you might have seen on... uh, Sorry, David, Facebook this past week. I um, Just a couple of days ago, I posted something where I was, I was kind of mildly correcting the way Imogene worded something. She said I was babysitting her because Lindsay wasn't there. And I was like, I'm your dad. How am I babysitting? It's called being a parent, right? One of the things that we always, uh, now we rarely have to do it. One of the things that we, that we, always have uh, been sticklers about correcting is the way they forgive one another. Because we do it as adults just as badly as kids do it. Somebody has offended you or somebody has done something wrong and they own up to it and they say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And our response is always, it's okay. What does that mean? 
it's okay that you stole $20 out of my wallet? Okay, then is that an open invitation? It's okay that you've done me wrong. It's okay that you've talked poorly about me. It's okay that you've lost control of yourself in speaking with me. It's okay. There's no forgiveness in saying that something's okay. And so, one of our kids does something wrong to the other, and they apologize. We make sure that they actually confess what they've done, not just, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? That's a, that's a good spiritual lesson for all of us. To own our mistakes, to own our sins before God. And the other thing that we work on them on is making sure that if you're ready to forgive, you actually offer the forgiveness. If they say, and this is something they often say, especially Emery, because he's reached that, that stage where when he's been hurt by someone, he's been gravely hurt, and it is a burden that he will bear. And sometimes he'll say, I don't forgive you. And normally Lindsay will say, that's fine, Emery, but you know that Jesus said that you have to forgive others their sins for yours to be forgiven. So when you're ready to forgive, you make sure you let them know. Give it a couple minutes. Imogene, I forgive you. <laughs> there's, there's an exchange that takes place in forgiveness that is not met by simply saying, oh, it's okay. And it's not, that's, that's not uh, allowed its opportunity by saying, I'm sorry. Now, there are times when forgiveness is exchanged where not a whole lot of words need to be spoken. You've been there. You, you've really, really messed up. And some time has passed, and all that needed to be said was, I blew it. And I think there are times in our lives of repentance when we come to God and saying, Father, I've blown it. Or that's enough. But it's only enough if we sincerely and really feel the weight of our debt. And God offers us Actual forgiveness. Pardon for our debts. Radical and real burdens being lifted. Slates being wiped clear. He offers us that. He doesn't just tell us it's okay. Could you imagine if the paralytic, if Jesus had said that to the paralytic? His friends bring him in. He's thinking, hey, this guy's going to heal me. If he's then met with, it's okay. Oh well. 
That was that. But God offers us healing, restoration. He offers us forgiveness of sins. And He tells us that we must forgive others. In fact, that's what Paul says to the Colossians. He talks about the, the, the type of life that they're to have together. Putting on mercies and kindness and gentleness and love, the bond of perfection. He says, bearing with one another because sometimes people are just bearable. And forgiving one another. And then he goes on to say, if anyone has a debt against another, if anyone is at the other's mercy, you must forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Forgiveness is something that has been largely lost in the Western church. I say that. Let me, let me clarify. We think that the only debt we owe to anybody is to God and Him alone. After all, only God can judge me. And we hear that all the time. But the Scriptures call us to forgive one another. To confess to one another. And to offer healing to one another. And so, as we come to the end of this service, I really want you to, to take seriously this, the response. On the back of your communication card, there's a place for response. Something to pray, something to do, something to become. But also on the back of your bulletin, there's a place for you to write that in. Because I want you to hang on to your bulletin. Remember this service. Remember the songs. Remember the scriptures. Remember your commitments. Also remember the announcements. Please hang on to your bulletin. Put your communication card in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary. And take a moment to consider what is it this morning that I desperately need to pray What is the cry of my heart to God right now? And what is it today and in the coming days that I need to do? Perhaps you think, I've done someone wrong and I need to own it. And I need to ask for forgiveness. Again, forgiveness is needed even for things that we didn't intend to do wrong. 
yesterday I was at the baseball field and uh, with Aiden, and we were warming up, and the ball went past one of their coaches, so I ran over and grabbed it and came up and was kind of tossing it to the coach, and it nails a pole that is right between me and the guy. I didn't, for the life of me, I don't know if I just didn't see it or what, but it, it catches the that pole kind of on an angle, and it goes right into this lady. Hits her. She drops her phone. It was a brand-new iPhone. Ugh. Thankfully, it didn't break. It had a good case on it and everything, but it was purely accidental. It would have been sin of the highest order had I said, it was an accident. She can get over it. She really think I tried to hit her with that ball? I mean, that bounced off of a pole. That's almost impossible. That never happens. Except for when I'm throwing it. A couple of times I had to go over to her immediately and then after a few minutes after, you know, after I didn't fear she was going to wring my neck, <laughs> I went back over again and said, again, I'm really sorry. I, I checked on, on the phone and made sure everything was fine. That's not to try to praise myself or anything like that. It's simply to, to offer you a recent illustration of there are things that we don't intend to do wrong, but we still need to own them because we've given hurt. Perhaps in thinking those things that I need to do in the coming days, perhaps there's someone in need of your forgiveness. Yeah, but they haven't apologized. If I've bragged on myself, I'll also put myself down a little bit. When I was a teenager, that used to be kind of my, that was my M.O. My modus operandi was, if they don't apologize, I'm not forgiving them. After all, right, if we're going to enjoy the forgiveness of Jesus, we've got to own our sins and confess them to Him. And there was this one guy who really used to drive me nuts. He used to drive a lot of us nuts. He, he, he was just a, a tough guy to get along with. And he was the guy who, you know, would spend the night with you one night and then spend the night with your friend the other night. And he was talking bad about him. And then he was talking bad about you. And it was drama. And I, I used to very piously talk with even my parents about, I'm not forgiving him until he admits it. I don't recall this paralytic man saying anything to Jesus. At all. He didn't even offer a thank you in Matthew's account. After it, I imagine he thanked him. Matthew doesn't tell us this man confessed his sins to Jesus. There are people in our lives that we need to forgive. That we need to not just say, it's okay. Not just even say, you're forgiven. But we need to let go of burdens. And let go of hurts. God can't do the big in our lives unless we trust Him with the small of our lives. 
and we can't talk about discipleship, we can't talk about accountability, we can't talk about growing in grace, we can't talk about becoming students of the Scriptures, we can't talk about how much God is doing in us and through us until we learn to do those small things which sometimes are very, very, very big and hard to do, like forgiving. So I really want you to take into consideration what are those things I want to do? Because those things that we do really play into those things we become. I hope all of our prayer, all of our commitment this morning is, Lord, I want to become someone who easily lets go of burdens. Someone who doesn't play the martyr and play them up and lord over others' burdens to us, but Lord, I want to be someone as gracious as your Son, Jesus. Let's pray.